Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Steve Grasso, Brian Kelly, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the rush is on. Millions of Americans taking to the skies as we kick off the busiest travel week of the year. Why this holiday season could send airline stocks soaring. Plus, break out your textbooks because class is in session. Warden Professor Jeremy Siegel says Dow 30,000 is on the way. He'll give us his timetable. And later, feast or fast, in honor of Thanksgiving, our traders are serving up a heaping helping of their favorite food stocks and the names they are leaving as leftovers. But we, get, we begin with what else? You knew this was coming. You hear the music. You see the clock. It's that time of year again. Yes, it is a countdown to Christmas. Just 27 days, 6 hours, 59 minutes. To get all your shopping done, <laughs> but as we head in- favorite time of year, no. favorite guys. time of year, as we head full steam into the retail rush, there's one name that has got all of our heads scratching. It is Amazon. The stock seems to be stuck. Mm. It is lagging its peers this year, down 11% from its 52-week high. So, as we gear up for the most important time of the year for retail, is Amazon going to leave investors with a giant lump of coal, mm. guy? Well, first of all, I love that Gwen Stefani song that I don't want a lot for Christmas, right? She's fantastic. It, it puts you in such a holiday mood. Dan gives me the, I tell you, see, people at home don't see it, but I get the nastiest looks from Dan. I think they can imagine it. Every night. It's, it's, and it's wearing the, doesn't take I mean, it's, it's hump day into gobble gobble. It's like it's the best, my it's favorite the best thing ever. It's the best day of the year. Amazon, listen, what's the problem with Amazon? Well, technically, you have major double tops at 2050. We actually talked about that last earnings period, the fact that it's probably going to trade up there and fail. And that's pretty much what happened. If you remember the day of earnings, it traded down to 1650 or thereabouts. And we made a comment that that, listen, it looks scary. That's the 50% retracement of that 1300 low in the recent 52-week high. That held up as well. But to your point, the stock has sort of meandered on what's been a very good tape. What's holding it back? I don't know. Maybe a lot of the money flowing into Target and the move in Target has been spectacular. Maybe that's flowing out of Amazon. Maybe a lot of these retailers have finally caught up on the e-commerce side, and that's taking some market share. With that said, that 1650 level did hold. The stock hasn't traded well, but I actually think it looks okay at these current levels. I mean, it wasn't too long ago we were talking about the death of retailers, the death of the big box stores because of Amazon, and here we are. Target and Walmart are the heroes of the mm-hmm. year. Well, listen, you know, Target obviously is trading up, what, 70, 80% of the year, and a lot of that has to do with this omnichannel strategy. They've been growing online sales at 35% a clip um, year over year for the last couple quarters here. Um, I think it's important to remember when you think about Amazon, they're going to do $250 billion in North American retail sales. When you think of the total pie, what that looks like, we have $5 trillion in the U.S. Less than 10% of those sales are online. So, you know, to me, I think that stuck in the mud over the last few months, I think it is important that it has uh, underperformed the MAGA complex in general. We don't, I mean, think about it. Apple is up 70% of the year, $1.2 trillion in market cap. This thing's been left in, in the dust. But we know why, right? They went to this um, increased spending for that right. one-day shipping. Yeah. And I think it's and the Bezos thing. said that. Yeah, he right. just said it was going to be an investment cycle. And, and I just think that if you're thinking out longer term, like this,
this pause is probably giving you the opportunity to kind of reload a little bit. But what else happened? AWS is decelerating. Right. So you have extra spending. Right. AWS is the crown jewel. And Microsoft and Google are eating away at AWS. So I don't think it's viable right now. I think there's more sell-offs to come. Well, it's competition in all their segments, and that, that's what we're talking about here, right? So as Grasso mentioned, we've got AWS. We also have the direct-to-consumer phenomenon. Dan mentioned Target, how they're no, now going omnichannel. So every single one of their growth areas is starting to be eating away. Now, if you want to say where are they going to actually start to make up and where are they head ahead, it's actually on the physical stores or even on their Amazon Go cashierless uh, stores that they're going to come mm. out with next year. That is the narrative that you can grab onto and say there's going to be growth there. The market hasn't grabbed onto that yet, and you probably got a decent place to get that in your risk been reward. The growth, though. Now you're thinking well, about well, hasn't been. physical store. Right. A bricks and mortar. Right. No, 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 no. They're, they're cashierless. The ability, though, no, be, it's the, the cashierless. For, for, for him to turn on the spigots of earnings whenever he wants well, is right. what's kept shorts on their heels. The other thing is AWS. AWS was the growth engine. If that decelerate, decelerates, then you're looking at a massive sell-off potential. For well, that's what I'm saying. That's why it's been stuck in the mud, it's not right? The cashless, so, but it's not the cashless. No, I'm saying that's the growth. Or the bookstore. No, I'm or the saying that's the growth. You guys don't understand it. I don't. <laughs> so at one point in time, there was no such thing as AWS. And everybody went, oh, it's never going to grow. They're a retailer. How could Amazon actually do something with web services? And then all of a sudden, it's the growth engine. So the next growth engine that they're setting up for are the cashless retailers. So I'm just saying that if that's what Wall Street bites onto and says that's where the growth is going to come from, then you've got a good story here. If it doesn't and everybody and competition keeps coming in, then guys double top's gonna come into play. I don't know if I buy into that. No but you narrative. know BK <laughs> I hate you know you know certain analogies I hate I hate most of them. But what BK is doing here, and he's and he went to school. It's not making sense. <laughs> he's skating to where the puck. There you go. Skating to where there the puck was. was. He's not skating to, but I mean, the investment cycle is that skating to where the puck is going to be? Because yeah, some people 100%. argue that Amazon has always been, uh, you know, on the forefront in terms of investment cycles into the next big way to deliver your goods. But Target's got the next big way. Like, Walmart's like got the next store big way. The next big so way. I, don't, I don't know. I, I, you know, and I think... See? I, I really think you're looking backwards with the Amazon story. This is something that was a growth real engine, and I think they're losing a lot of steam where people were putting money for AWS. You sound like you're writing it off. Well, I have been... Right, once, once he said that it was an investment cycle, I said you have to... If Bezos tells you it's an investment cycle, then you have to get out of the name. So this thing is, and I get what Guy's saying, it's bounced around these levels. It could pop a little further from here, but I think you have to take the CEO's advice mm-hmm. and leave when he tells you. On, on, the, on the con side of things, don't discount when Nike came out and said, you know, that's, we're done with Amazon. I mean, that was an interesting first salvo. I mean, sure, maybe yeah. they're the first, I don't think they're going to be the last, maybe they're the first of many. So that, to me, was an interesting well, shot across the bow. You know, yesterday, I know you like dicks, it was up like nine, It was up 19% yesterday after that earnings report. And what did they say? They said that they expect to actually see, um, you know, a benefit of uh, Nike leaving, uh, you know, leaving that store on Amazon. You know, Nike, listen, is a company that's doing amazing things on direct-to-consumer. And I think that's the theme that you guys are talking about. But that, the fact that Dix mentioned that, I thought that was really interesting. And when they announced that deal two years ago, you know, what was the issue there? They wanted to drive third-party sellers off of Amazon. That's a very high-margin business for Amazon. Right. So I think if Amazon can actually figure out how to collect those sorts of sales, sort of again, that might be a way to compete with these retailers. But if you're going to talk about that, then, then you have to throw in all birds. 
Is that what they're called? Yeah. The sneaker, the shoes. So if you're worried about them knocking off other products, is that going to scare away a lot more people putting their stuff on Amazon? Even incrementally, I think it's something to think about. All right, well, so let's stick with Amazon here. There may be more problems in store for the e-commerce giant. Deidre Bosa is in San Francisco with more on this. Deidre. Melissa, perfect segue. You guys are getting at this, that rising competition in core e-commerce, in particular from those direct-to-consumer or DTC brands. Now, they're getting savvier and they're getting more help in competing against the Amazon machine. Call it the DTC ecosystem. It's a rising to handle every step of the e-commerce process for brands. You were talking about some of them that may be wary of working with Amazon, which itself, remember, is producing its own private label products that can look strikingly similar to DTC products. Like you also just mentioned it, those Allbird-like sneakers. Now, the ecosystem includes Stripe for payments, Affirm for credit, Returnly for returns, ShipBop for warehousing, and Dark Store for same-day delivery. Now, they work with some of the biggest brands in this DTC space, like Glossier, Warby Parker, Everlane, Casper. And guys, increasingly, they are going mainstream. For example, Affirm is partnering with Walmart on point-of-sale financing. Stripe works with Target and Under Armour. Store and Shopify, they teamed up to sell and deliver Nike shoes. Nike, which Guy just mentioned, just severed its relationship with Amazon. So should other brands choose to follow in Nike's footsteps, this D2C backend only makes it easier and less disruptive for them to do so. And that could be a big problem for Amazon. Instead of one knockout blow, it could be this sort of death by a thousand cuts. Now, another benefit of controlling the process instead of using, for example, fulfillment by Amazon is that companies can maintain their brand strength by offering greater personalization and more control over quality. Remember that counterfeits are a problem for the Amazon platform. Now, guys, I just checked the websites of Rothy's, Glossier, Allbirds, and Warby Parker. Not a Black Friday or Cyber Monday deal to be found. So back to your point, it all comes as Amazon's core retail business is slowing. Melissa? All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa. Um, you know, this reminds me of when brands started questioning why they needed to be in the department stores. Amazon is the, the new age department, department store. You can store. find everything on the platform, any brand, and brands are, in, are questioning that. Yeah, no question. And, and you know, to, I think, though, to Brian's point, and we laughed about it, but I think, he makes, I think he's got, it makes sense. I mean, if people are going to go to store, I mean, that's the next iteration of what the department store was 10 or 15 years ago. So maybe Amazon has this right. I understand, the, look, the bear case, there are a lot of reasons to be bearish. Valuation being on the top of that list. The fact that you have these major double tops. The fact that, that Nike is moving away from Amazon. But if you look at it, I mean, as horribly as it traded over the last you know, couple weeks, it absolutely held that 50% retracement. It's back over 1,800 now. And they're one quarter away from saying amazing things, which they've done before, mm-hmm. and the stock making a new high. Yeah, yeah, it was just a weird year, I think. You know, when you think about it, Bezos had that high-profile divorce. You know, that was right. something that people were worried about. I think we were talking about at the time, is this a distraction for him? Well, I don't really think it has been. I think that DOD contract, the cloud mm-hmm. contract, was a really interesting sort of one. They had been in the catbird seat to win all all those sorts of things. So I think there's a lot of news all coming together. And I think Bezos is the sort of guy. Oh, and don't forget the, the whole HQ2 sort of thing. Like, right. that was a big thing. Mm-hmm. This was probably the worst news year for Amazon in a long time. And the stock's still up 21%, you know, with an $860 billion market cap. So to me, I, I think Steve's correct. If there was a swoosh below 1700 back to 1500 I think you would see people, that would be a level where people would be reloading for years to come. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they will see all this stuff pay off. And even with right. AW, AWS decelerating, it's still a massive business. It, it, it is, but you see Microsoft and Google increasing in, in, in that cloud space. 
I was extremely bullish on Amazon. I think they're running out of gas. And the AWS story wasn't really understood when Amazon was trading at 400, 500, 600. But once you get to these levels and you start to see the deceleration, I think you, it, you have to be a little wary going forward. So the AWS story was not understood at six and seven hundred, similar to how the cashless cashless store is not understood at and these the levels. And, buggy and that's never the been reason. Truly I'm understood. telling you right now, it's a, it's it's the day before Thanksgiving. Producers in Inglewood mark this day when we're talking about the cashierless store. Don't come crying to BK and saying we never heard about it before. You heard it here first. <laughs> On the hump day, the eve. Yeah, hump day. Happy hump. And you know, it's funny. The people on the Twitter are the very, they're ha ha funny people. Oh, very. They said, How did you think that was Gwen Stefani? Of course, I know it wasn't Gwen Stefani. It's a great Jennifer Lopez, who is a fantastic (laughs) singer and dancer. Coming up, bulls rejoice because the market is headed for even more record highs. That's what Wharton professor Jeremy Siegel is saying, and you won't believe how much higher he thinks stocks will go. Plus, the rush is on. Millions of Americans taking to the skies this weekend, and that could mean big things for the airlines. Phil LeBeau is live at one of the nation's busiest airports with the sky-high expectations. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa, good news here at O'Hare. This has not been a horrifically bad day in terms of travel. Yeah, it's crowded, but... Frankly, this is pretty good for the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Why that's good news for the airlines when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Millions of Americans taking to the skies as we head into the busiest travel week of the year. And those packed airports could be some welcome news to the airline's stocks. Phil on the front lines of the holiday rush at O'Hare Airport in Chicago. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa. You talk to anyone in the airline business and they all say the same thing. Give me a clean holiday season and we'll be smiling. And so far, they're off to what should be a relatively clean Thanksgiving travel season. Clean meaning not a whole lot of cancellations. 2.98 million people are expected to fly today. Second busiest travel day of the year. The busiest is going to happen on Sunday. And so far, yes, there are some cancellations because of the storms around the country, but not a lot. Just over 600 so far. The cancellations impacting airports in the upper Midwest, also in the Northeast. Minneapolis is a good example. We've seen some cancellations there today. Saw the same thing yesterday in Denver. As you take a look at three airlines in particular, United, American, and Southwest, the reason that we're showing you these guys They're all impacted by the 737 MAX. They don't have about 70 of those MAXs that they originally planned on having. Frankly, they planned on having more, more like 110 or 120 altogether if they had taken delivery of planes this year. As you take a look at those stocks, also keep in mind that for Boeing, the big focus now turns to next week, the beginning of the month. And as we talked about yesterday, Melissa, December is a critical month for Boeing as they continue to target December as the month when they will finally get recertification of the 737 MAX. Guys, have a happy Thanksgiving. Phil, um, with fewer planes out there, is pricing firmer? It's It's hard to call it firmer when you look at the average domestic airfare. 
still down near close to historic lows. And by mm. historic lows, we're talking multi, multi-year lows. They just continue to fall lower, in part because you've got the low-cost carriers continuing to add flights on the bottom of the market. That's bringing the average down. So while there has been some firming, it's not like we're, you know, you see a lot of the airline executives saying, yeah, we've got all the pricing power we want. All right. Happy Turkey Day, Phil. Oh, <laughs> just, just to tweak me. Phil doesn't say that. Phil's too smart to say Happy Turkey Day and gobble, but if gobble. If Phil wanted to annoy Guy Adami, he, he would, would say Happy Turkey Day. And Phil is clever that way. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> Airline stocks, where do you go? You know, JetBlue earlier this year, remember they announced that they're going to start flying transatlantic? And I think that's a really interesting one. Here's a stock that trades about... I don't know, eight times earnings are expected to grow earnings 20% plus next year on a sales growth of about 7%. That one seems kind of cheap with kind of, you know, I, I think a catalyst. You know, as we get into 2020, I think it'll be something that maybe analysts start thinking about a little bit. Too. That one seems really interesting to me. You know, the airline index itself is up about 17%. Uh, that has all come since August, basically. So all of these look fairly good, and they all look like they want to break out. If I had to pick one in the group, I, I'd probably just buy across the board. But Delta Airlines, DAL, is probably the one that I like the best for a breakout. I went for the laggard. I went for Spirit Airlines, ticker symbol save. Stock is down still 32%. It's about 10% off the bottom. I'm long it. I think if the whole group starts to rally, the laggard's going to outperform. The leaders save is the name I'm playing. On, October, on November 13th, UBS initiated JetBlue with a buy. I think the only buy on the list with a $25 price target. Dan might be on to something. It's interesting. American Airlines with Phil just mentioned, trading at five and a half times next year. I mean, a ridiculous valuation. You mentioned uh, JetBlue at eight, Americans at five. So that's 62 and a half percent did that in my head. Anyway, the stock has made a series of lower lows and lower highs. Technically, it looks like a disaster. And UBS initiated that with a sell and a $27 price target. That stock, to me, despite the valuation, I think goes lower from you know, here. It's amazing we didn't talk about Boeing at all in this segment. But Should we, we have? Sure. He, he did. We didn't, we didn't do it, though. It's amazing how the stocks still hangs in, sitting right above its 200-day moving average. This is one that you threw everything at. You want to talk about, Dan said, what a bad year it's been for headlines with Amazon. Talk about a bad year for Boeing. The stock's still stuck in there. It tells you a lot. All right. Well, you can read more about the winners and losers in the holiday travel rush on our website, cbc.com. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. Here, caught in the headlights of the trade war. What the company said about the future that sent the stock tumbling. And later, we're talking turkey. The traders tell us what stocks they're gobbling up this Thanksgiving. Stick with us. We have much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks locking in another round of fresh all-time highs ahead of Thanksgiving. But beneath the surface of this record run, there is one stock that could be shooting off major warning flares. Deer tumbling today after the tractor maker cut its forecast, citing lingering trade tensions. So is Deer telling the true story of what's going on in the market? Dan. Listen, you know, we've been watching a lot of these industrials. We know that, you know, as uh, investors have gotten more excited about the potential for a phase one trade deal, there was this rotation into cyclicals, but these stocks had already run into it. So I think it's really important when you think about, you know, what is the sort of uh, forward visibility these companies have, and they don't have much. And I would just tell you that any of these industrial companies who get a lot of their sales overseas who tell you otherwise are not being particularly honest about it. Um, So, you know, I think you have to take this move Seriously, that was down 5% today. This is a big industrial stock. It's not a nice move, but I I think you want to kind of keep that sort of lack of visibility in your investment framework as you start thinking about how things play out into 2020. Yeah, I think it's a cautionary tale. There is a lot of optimism built into this market at this point in time. And Deer just shows you what happens when all of a sudden the floor drops out on it, right? So as we go into 2020, you know, you talk about, can we get these tariffs off? Is the trade deal going to come in? Are we going to get some sort of reacceleration in global growth. That's what the market's pricing in today. And hey, listen, it could be right. But if it's not, then you're in for some tough sledding. The one place that I would look into 2020, look at the high-yield bond market. That has not confirmed these new highs. That's a concern. Is there there a shot that this was a a kitchen sink sort of quarter? I mean, trade... Let's throw in trade tensions. Let's start throw in weather. All of these things. And, and the one that's at the target spot is a, a company that addresses the whole ag end of this. And that's the one that's in flux when you start to talk about the trade, whether it's going to be phase one, two or three. But it's really hard to sell the market when you know that there's multiple phases that are coming or possibly coming. Correct. So. All right. Let's stick with trade here. Let's take a look at how things are stacking up in the trade war. This is all the recent data from both the U.S. and China. You can see the U.S. economy is holding strong, backed by a solid labor market, while China just handed in a weak batch of economic data. Our next guest says trade is one of the one factor that could add fuel to Wall Street's record rally. Let's bring in Warden Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel. Professor, great to have you on the show. Good evening. I want to start off with your bold prediction of 30,000 on the Dow. We like round numbers. Right. You do, too. Uh, what kind yeah. of time frame are you talking about? Well, don't forget, 30,000 is only around 6% away. So, right. I mean, what, that's less Next than, year. you know, half of what we had this year. Uh, I think it's real. I think, you know, we've been talking about what happened dear the uncertainty on trade. Trade is the major issue facing the market. If we get a uh, phase one deal... If Trump, you know, normalizes with Europe, if we get signed on the Canada-Mexico agreement, uh, you know, 6% seems to be maybe even modest in that case. Uh, but, you know, if we get those, you know, we're not cheap. We all know that. You know, selling for 19, we go another 6%, that's, that's 20 times earnings. So we would have to see, you know, a good economy next year uh, for us to get much more than that. So I see a, a pop with a phase one deal getting to 30K, uh, then it's going to labor a little bit harder after that. 
What's a good economy in your view? Is it an economy that's better than what we've seen this year? And I'm yeah. just trying to I'm just trying to gauge this because, you know, if if you are banking on a good economy, do you think that it's the trade deal will, that will make this economy good? Yeah, well, it's don't forget, it's not just our economy. It's also the foreign economies. Europe is beginning to look a little bit better, a, a turnaround. Uh, in the U.S., by the way, I, I was very comforted by the data we got today on durable goods, particularly jobless claims, which got me a little bit worried last year. Uh, we've seen the PMIs turn around. That scare that we had a month or two ago is easing. It's also easing in Europe because of Germany. So people are saying we may have, just, you know, passed that dip. Doesn't look like a recession. Uh, if Europe gets better next year, uh, emerging markets improve next year. With the S&P, 40% plus of their profits come from foreign sales. You just can't look at the U.S. You have to look there. I think that's what the market is actually looking at. Good trends there. A deal on, on trade uh, with interest. With the 10 years staying at 170, uh, what's there not to like uh, about equities? No, that's fair, Professor Siegel. Just play devil's advocate. You know, Warren Buffett yeah. indicator, the Wilshire 5,000 over GDP, 140-something percent, I think. He's got $122 billion of cash sitting around. The S&P 500 uh, to market, market cap over GDPs, roughly 148 percent levels that we last saw, I don't know, 19 or so years ago. Are they concerning at all? Well, you know, I've always questioned, uh, you know, I love Warren, uh, but I've always questioned that indicator relative to GDP. Because, as I just mentioned, 40% of the profits are from foreign sales. So 40% of their value is world GDP, not just U.S. GDP. So when you go back in history, you know, back in 1950, 1960, it was 100%, 95%. Today, it's 60%. So my feeling is that that is not a good long-term indicator to talk about the valuation of the market. Professor Siegel, it's Brian Kelly. So I'm curious, is there a period where um, it's taken too long to get this trade deal done? So let's say we're into Q3 of next year and we're still talking about phase one. When is it too far and when is the damage already done and irreversible? Well, the first thing, we can't get the 25 percent tariffs. So, I mean, if we if we move there, it's bad for the market and and bad for the economy. I, I, no, no phase one is a kind of a muddle through. In other words, a standstill. And if we don't get it with that standstill, with that threat of an increase later, it's going to be hard, I think, to, to get much of a pop in the market. Because, again, we're not selling at a cheap uh, ratio. So, yeah, muddle, no agreement, uh, muddling through at this level. I think progress is going to be really hard from this level. All right. Professor Siegel, great speaking with you. Have a happy Thanksgiving, Thank you very much. Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Warren School. Um, do we have 6% in us on the Dow Jones Industrial Average if yeah, we I have think, phase one? I, I think, of course, I think if you have phase one, because then you know other phases are more likely to come behind it. So I think we definitely, we definitely oh. have that. Because de- everyone said that it was not going to get done. Everyone said that China could wait us out. I think that they have a vested interest in not waiting us out. But it's about perception. We thought there was going to be an earnings recession. This time around. So going into the first quarter of 2020, where is the benchmark? Where are estimates? What is the perception? 
And if we leap over them, we go higher. If we fall short, we're going lower. I, I just push back a little bit about the phase one, and then that opens the door for two and three. I think that the Chinese obviously have uh, an incentive right now to negotiate a phase one with as little concession as possible on the bigger issues as it relates to buying soybeans or whatever. And then they, they already actually, started to bend but, on but, IP. But what I'm saying is, but did they, though? I mean, like, so yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm just saying, but did they? And, and my point is, is that I think you will see a deal in the next few I don't know, weeks, months or something like that for phase one. And then you may not see another deal until after the election. Is that my That's only fine, point? but it also it, keeps the bears sort of in the corner because they could come at any moment because no one thought phase one was coming. It's only fine, Steve, if they turn back some of the existing tariffs because uh, some of the existing tariffs have been away. We're at, all, ta- we're at all time highs right now. Phase one happens. Everybody is thinking that phase one is going to happen. And that's why we are at record levels. Yeah. Well, if, let's I mean, go if back nobody, a couple of weeks. There was. We, was there was, there's no way you could say that every right there's no way that anyone was on this desk saying that we thought that phase one was going to get done. That was not a unanimous consensus. No, no, hold on. Back on then, though, no, Steve, it was, it was, there was no phases. It was a trade deal. So then they hacked it up. Okay, so phase one, things. we changed it to phase one. Phase Did you one think is phase, phase one, is, one is, is really just not doing new tariffs? That's all it is. And then Wait, buying no, no, soybeans. No, 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 no. China came out and said that they were more positive moving forward and they felt that phase one was going to get done and IP is being discussed. This is not talking about just ag anymore. Okay, well, Let's see if there's IP is. Everyone said it wasn't going to get done. Everyone said that phase one wasn't going to get done. It's still not done. Uh, Okay, okay. (laughs) And and short the market. And we're at all time highs. And that's exactly what happened. That's split up. It's not. Hold on. You have different views of this, but do you both agree that there's a melt up in the market that will continue? No, I think it's going to be right. like, the, like yes. January of 18 once they finally you if they can't do a short phase the market, one. though. You can't short the market with this overhanging. If it's if it comes out that China says we are not doing any deal permanently, then it's a short. But until then, you're going to stop, keep on your heels and the bears are going to get run over. Coming up, biotech on a tear this year, but there is one big potential threat looming that could hit the drug makers. We'll tell you what it is. Plus, the latest tweet from Elon Musk that's got many asking if he's gone too far once again. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out healthcare heating up, getting more than 5% in November, outpacing the S&P 500 on the month. The XLV ETF that tracks the space hitting a brand new all-time high today. But there may be danger brewing here. Let's get to our very own Meg Terrell back at CNBC headquarters with a story. Hi, Meg. Hey, Melissa. Well, high drug prices, of course, are what the industry gets the most flack for. But it's actually the opposite situation causing a simmering problem for the healthcare system. Many life-saving drugs, often older and cheaply priced, are in shortage. We spoke with Karen Hay, who, on top of a diagnosis with bladder cancer, was told the best drug for her wasn't available. This thing works, but it's very difficult for anybody to make money off of it. But if we don't have enough of it, people suffer and die. The drug is called BCG. It's decades old and cheap for a cancer drug, $157 a vial. It's also extremely complex to manufacture. And after Sanofi had quality issues at one of its plants, it dropped out of the market in 2016. Now Merck is the only supplier. And while it says it's more than doubled its output, the shortages persist. We asked CEO Ken Frazier about it back in June. When the prices of drugs get too low, particularly drugs that are generic drugs, then you don't have a market incentive for people to put the capital up to build facilities like we need for additional amounts of this BCG drug. So why not raise the price to support more manufacturing? Well, Merck said it wouldn't be the responsible thing to do. Doctors like Ben Davies say Merck has a moral responsibility to ensure the supply. 
They've actively harmed bladder cancer patients by not providing the drug in sufficient quantity. So they can spin it however they want. They've done a great job with their PR on this, but it's nothing but a tragedy. And Mal Merck is far from alone when it comes to drug shortages. Pfizer's Hospira, for example, has more than 40 products in shortage, according to the FDA. Back over to you. So, Meg, it's interesting because the doctor had mentioned something very important. That's the PR issue. So the drug companies are getting bad PR because they raise drugs, the price of drugs, too much. And on the back end of it, they're getting bad PR because the drugs are too cheap and they're hard to manufacture at that price point. Yeah, it almost seems like they can't win in either situation there. But what's interesting is if you look at the bad PR the industry's gotten, it really has been the lion's share on the high drug price side, the EpiPen, Martin Shkreli. You don't hear as much about these drug shortages for cheap medicines. You hear about them occasionally. There was a children's cancer drug called Vincristine in shortage uh, recently. But for the most part, these companies haven't gotten a lot of attention for it. And doctors like Ben Davies are trying to call more attention to this problem. And is Merck planning on spending more to build out capacity or production for this drug? As of right now, they say they're doing all that they can, and some doctors agree they're doing more than their fair share, and other companies should be responsible for supplying the market as well. But it's just not a good business for them to be in. It's a cheap drug, doesn't make them much money. Keytruda brings in $7 billion a year. Wow, what a story. Meg, thank you. you. Meg Terrell, back at headquarters. You can read more of Meg's reporting on our website, cnbc.com. This is a very interesting story. We've seen it happen time and time again with uh, cheap drugs, particularly when it comes uh, to um, antibiotics. Yeah. So when I was in college many years ago, Keep your mouth shut, Dan. I had to take a class called Business Ethics, and this falls right in the crosshairs of that. And when you try to bring that into the trading investing, it's extraordinarily difficult. Now you're reading about ESG. I understand. These com- it's very hard for these companies. What is their responsibility? The shareholders or their patients? And I don't want to get in the middle of that. But what I will say is this. Many of these stocks have been unbelievable. Amgen continues to make new highs on an everyday basis. People are finally figuring out that on valuation, it's cheap. Biogen's had that great move off the low that we talked about for quite some time. Sarepta's off the mat as well. So the, the stories of these stocks make sense. Meg's reporting is fantastic. But when you try to marry that with trading and investing, it makes what's extraordinarily difficult that much more difficult. And, you know, you're talking about one of the uh, top holder holdings of the IBB. So if you want to play it with biotech, and we're talking about pharma stocks here as well, I think a lot of it is maybe the target is off their back as of late from D.C. We've, we've been so myopic on impeachment. Nothing's getting done. No drug pricing issues are getting done. So maybe... The run-up lately has been because everyone's taken their eye off the ball on drug pricing, and it's not a real focal point in D.C. Coming up, Tesla keeps on trucking as Elon Musk hints that Cybertruck orders are coming in hot. But can the stock keep up its momentum? We'll break it down. Plus, options traders are betting on some retail pain. As we head into Black Friday, we'll get the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla's Cybertruck buzz is still red hot. And Elon Musk wants you to know all about it. The Tesla CEO tweeting 250K last night, suggesting the company has received that many orders for its new Cybertruck. But has all this Cybertruck hype gone too far? Now, remember, these are refundable deposits of $100. Yes. Yeah, I, I actually yeah. thought about ordering one because of what you just said. It's $100. You figure you don't want to let me keep my place in line. It's 100 bucks. It's refundable. I do think it looks... Pretty cool, but there's no saying that it's going to look like this. It might look drastically different 
from this. I'm not concerned with the glass breaking. I mean, when you have bulletproof glass, it sort of spiders out anyway. I'm, I'm a little upset that it went through. That's not supposed to happen in bulletproof glass. But I don't know. Is anyone around this table kind of need bulletproof glass at this point? I would think not. Not that yeah. I know of. No, you know, I mean, I hope not. I mean, maybe in the future. Yeah. It's Are about you trying the to tell us something? It's about, it's, about, it's about the balance sheet. So if now if the worries are not so much about the balance sheet and they're about the products and they're about delivery and they're about the innovation, that's a win for Tesla. And that keeps shorts wanting to cover versus laying them out again. You know what else is a win for Tesla is the amount of free press and publicity that they've gotten over the last week for this one silly truck that's out there. People have talked about it all week. It's a silly looking truck. I mean, come on, look at look at the thing. It's silly looking truck. But the point the point is, he's a marketing genius in this. He also he can use some of those deposits as a little bit of cash flow as long as the balance sheet's okay. I you know I think they do all right here, and I think you get you could get that short covering squeeze. I feel like when they took a thousand dollar deposit, four hundred thousand of them, a four, you know, $400 million zero interest loan for the Model 3 a few years ago. I think that was genius. I don't think this is genius. I think it's kind of goofy. And I don't think this truck as it's like looking right here is ever going to get made. So if anything, like, what are you distracting us from? I, I, I find it kind of nauseating that we're talking about it right you now. You think they're hiding something? No, I just think it's a sideshow. And I just, I just don't know why he breaks his Twitter ban and, and, and he's doing this about some science fiction Kickstarter car thingy-majiggy. So it you talk no about sense. Tesla. What's that? So we all talk about Tesla. Okay, well, there you go. We're talking about it. We did it. I think that is a good point in terms of using Twitter to promote this, of all things. Like, if you're going to risk your hide with the SEC, is this what you're going to risk your hide for? I mean, is that worth it? Quickly, because I know we need to go to the break. But I recall back to this. I'm actually going to the Cozness. No, I love love the Cozness before Turkey Day. But over the summer, (laughs) actually late spring, Dan Nathan, when the stock was trading about 185 or so, said the sentiment has gotten so bad that this is a tradable opportunity. And he was probably a week away from netting it on the screws. The stock has doubled since then, doubled since then. Right. And the story, although it's changed, I don't think has fundamentally changed. So I think the negative press that we saw in June, now you're matching the euphoria. Now, again, it's amazing how people get so exorcised over this stock on the Twitter. I've never seen anything like it. I think it's better to play from the short side here from the long side. I could be wrong, and I've been wrong for the last $50. But if you're asking me to play, would you rather? I wasn't, but go ahead. <laughs> I would rather, I'd rather sell it here than buy it All here. Right. From Cybertruck to Cyber Monday, we're in the middle of a retail renaissance as this holiday season uh, heats up. The XRT ETF that tracks the space up 17% since late August, nearly doubling up the S&P 500 in the back half of the year. But as retail's biggest season comes into focus, options traders are betting the space will not thrive in the spotlight. Mike Coe in the Coe's Nest, San Francisco, with the options action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, on what would otherwise be probably a fairly light volume option trading day, XRT saw three times the average daily put volume. In fact, puts outpaced calls by more than 20 to 1 today because obviously the other options weren't really trading all that heavily. And the most actively opened options were the January 43 puts. Over 7,000 of those were bought for just over 60 cents. And buyers of those puts are obviously betting that XRT is going to fall below that strike price by the at least the premium that they spent. That would represent about a 6% decline to the break-even point between now and January expiration. But I would point out that this trader already had a bearish trade on. They were pushing out a bearish bet that they previously had on the December 43 strike out to January on the 43s and 44s. So maybe they are still seeing bearish things ahead, but they think it might take a little longer to see that happen. 
you don't like retail, do you? No, well, we were talking about XRT the other night. We we're saying that's only up 10%. We know who's doing the heavy lifting. It's the big box guys. It's Costco, it's Walmart, it's Target, and it's uh, the Home Depot and Lowe's. And everything else is not trading particularly well. And I think this is going to be a very promotional holiday season. I think you could have inventory uh, issues. And then who knows about the tariffs? So to me, I like this trade. I think XRT sees 40 bucks again sometime in the first two months of next year. Coming up, feast or fast, get ready to loosen your belt buckle because our traders are serving up a heaping helping of their favorite food stocks and the names they're leaving as Thanksgiving leftovers. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Fantastic. Just to watch guys' reaction, <laughs> priceless. Um, tomorrow, families all across America will gather around the dinner table to celebrate Thanksgiving. So with food on our minds, we thought it'd be a perfect time to introduce a new game that we're calling Feast or Fast. Love which food-related stocks mm. are our traders gobbling up and which names are they leaving for leftovers? Pretty straightforward instructions. Well, yeah. we'll see. Here's, here's how it works. We want to do some simple rules, right, so you guys can understand them because you generally don't understand rules. <laughs> if a trader likes the stock, they will say feast, uh-huh. and you will see mm. and hear this. Oh, I like that. The gobble, gobble. Yeah. If a trader does, does not like the stock, they will say oh. fast, and you'll see and hear this. Mm. So we kick it off with our first food stock, and that would be McDonald's. It is up nearly 11% this year. Grasso, it's on you. Play the game right. I wish you well. Feast. feast. Or fast. I'm going to come right out of the blocks and say feast. Okay. So, so the, the stock was spooked for a number of reasons. It was the value play. It was the safety play when the market was sort of in flux as it, as it still is. But then you had Steve Easterbrook, the CEO, depart. He put a lot of changes in place, and I think he was pivotal in his leadership. I think this one will come back into vogue. I think you're looking at higher prices going forward. Feast is where I stay on MCD. You know what's crazy? I think that across the board, you guys all... Yeah. Would feast feasted. That's what I was just looking we fest, at. We fested. It's a, it's a rare consensus call. And we don't even talk to each other. Yeah. Exactly. This mm. is done individually. So, Dan, I'll start off with you because you tend to not like things in general. Are you segueing to my <laughs> people. Easter family? No, no, no. no. I want to oh. hear your thoughts on McDonald's. Well, I, it's actually very similar to what we're going to go to in Starbucks, so I may just do it together okay. right now if, right, if I'm allowed okay, to do well, it. Then let's do the setup for Starbucks and yeah. then we can tie oh, the two so, together. Sorry. Okay? Way to go, Dan. Starbucks. Of 33% this year, so Dan, feast or fast? Well, no, but I, I think it's a very similar situation. Both these stocks uh, topped out some point in the summer and had nearly, you know, 15, 20% peak to trough declines. And there were much love stories trading at premiums to many of their peers and to the market. And so, you know, I, I think for whatever reason, investors just cooled on these stories. They're still doing pretty well. They found about them over the last couple of weeks. So I, I feel the same way as McDonald's as they do about Spar- Starbucks. And especially if you think that not only do we close near, yeah, so feast on it, um, if we close near the highs of the year and then there's momentum in the new year, I think you're going to see people come back into Starbucks and McDonald's. I think I'm going to make that sound my ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm not going to call you ever again. Maybe that's why, why you're doing it. Uh, yeah, but you don't hear the ringtone. You don't? No. <laughs> uh, you can still call her. That's I don't all know I'm how saying. the whole thing so, works. So I mean, Starbucks, McDonald's, I mean... 
I, I like McDonald's. The sell-up, I think the sell-up's been an opportunity to buy. I think in terms of valuation, it got ahead of itself. That had a huge move to the upside. You know, Steve talked about Domino's years ago being a technology play. I think in a lot of ways, McDonald's is becoming the two. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. So why are there little, like, you see that? What is that thing? It's a, a turkey. It's a, have you ever stamped anything? When you put something on the pad and you stamp, you know, the ink doesn't cover everything uniformly. We can't afford the, the so- ink for the entire thing. Is that what you're telling me? The Fast Money no, 2.0? stamps come out. It's unfortunate. It's genuine that way. I'd like to see what the fast one is. Somebody better be the fasting fast? on some. Well, it's well, feast or fast, right? Yes, that's true. Okay, yeah. well, let's get to this next one and see if anybody fasts. Oh, hopefully. Beyond Meat, ripping oh. higher this mm. year, more than 225%. So, BK, feast or fast? Uh, you know what? I am going to fast hey, on this one. boy. Yeah, as much as I like the, 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 uh, the uh, plant-based <laughs> meats, I actually think the Impossible Burger is way better than Beyond Meat. But up 234%. The, the froth in this is unbelievable. All the good news, I think, is in this stock. So you fast. In other words, don't eat it. It doesn't mean speed. You don't eat it. I would, I would be fasting this one as well. And I, and I think it's not about health conscious. It's about a social reason why people are, are, are looking towards beyond. It, this is a, uh, much more unhealthy than red meat is for you. I know people would like to debate me on that. But Tyson is up 68% year to date and beyond is down 66% from its peak just a couple of months ago. Last but not least, mm. Grubhub mm-hmm. down nearly 44% this year. So Guy, feast or fast? No, I'm going to fast that sucker as well. And, it, and, and there's one word that comes to mind when I think of the Grubhub. What? And it's, it's funny. See, you hear that sound? I know we got to go to, but you hear that sound? Yeah, can you play it again? Digestion. Jonesy, can Jonesy play it quickly again? Because that's the sound my stomach made about five minutes after I had that, that Beyond, Beyond oh. Meat burger. Ooh. And I won't tell you what happened 30 minutes after. Are you going because to talk it's about a family Grubhub? show. I- huh? Grubhub. We to competition. Grubhub. Look at, I mean, people initiating stocks. Cowan just initiated, downgraded to market perform, neutral at Wedbush, $30 price targets. Valuation doesn't make, nothing makes sense. Competition is coming. They don't make money. I mean, that's what you need to know in a nutshell. It's going lower from here, and we've said that for a while. Mel, fast. Final trade is up next. <laughs> trade time. Steve Grasso. Aurora Cannabis. I'm looking for the bounce there. ACB is the ticker. Green Wednesday, by the way. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, gobble, gobble. Happy hump day. Amazon. Don't count out a Amazon Go. Cash the stores. (laughs) (laughs) Long-time friend of the show here, right here. My name is Robert. Yeah, right on. (laughs) Not mine. I can't take credit. He's amazing. Um, EA, I think it's breaking out here. I think you take that one up. I can make cars out of niggas. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) What else can you do? I mean, this is, we got 20 seconds left. The human headways. The over-under gobble gobbles was three and a half. We hit five. I'm not happy. CMG for all you folks on Friday that are bored and lazy. Have a great Thanksgiving. See you back here Monday. Mad Money is up next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, 
The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.